You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me is Nathan McVorsky. Hello. And John Schwartz. Hey there. We just turned off all of the holiday music. John was singing dreidel, 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 and um, Nathan was playing the guitar. Very was, festive around here. Yeah, Very festive. It was great. So, guys, how's it been going? We've uh, just completed a very special commemorative issue. Nathan, if you want to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so, you know, the question that we always get from, from people, when you, when you tell them you work for the Yankees, like, oh, what do you do during the offseason? You just <laughs> go home and wait for spring training? No, we work. And uh, this always year... Always working. Always working. And uh, this year we decided that it was time to put together a special commemorative issue dedicated to one of the most special places in all of sports, the heart of Yankee Stadium, Monument Park. And, you know, I've really got to give you guys credit, Hillary, John, and, and the other folks on our staff here, because, you know, with our postseason run this year, you know, we were spending some late nights here at the stadium deep into October, you know, we wanted to make sure that we got this special commemorative edition out in time for the holidays. So, uh, you know, we really couldn't do a whole lot towards it until the baseball season ended. And then once it did end, boy, we had to crank this thing out. You know, we had to, we, we'd been working on it a little bit, but, uh, you know, we were kind of under the gun. So the last couple weeks, we've been working really hard on this and uh, I'm really proud of the final product. I mean, I, I think it's a really a sharp looking magazine just from a visual perspective, but the content inside, I think if you're a Yankees fan, whether you've visited Monument Park many times, whether you've never been there, this really approaches that place from a number of different angles, lending you know some perspective on its importance, its history, what it means to the people who are in there, all kinds of unique photos and and articles and insight that uh, I I think a lot of readers are really going to enjoy. Right. This is not just a Monument Park directory. This is Mm -hmm. some... Although there is in there a Monument Park directory. There is a directory (laughs) inside this magazine, but it is a magazine. It tells some stories about Monument Park, about the people in Monument Park, about the creation of Monument Park. Mm -hmm. And um, John, one of my favorite stories, you actually wrote this story a couple years ago about the making of the plaques, which I thought was really interesting. It's it's kind of a behind-the-scenes thing, and I know you love behind-the-scenes things. This is, the, this is the part of every podcast where I mentioned that I love logistics and behind-the-scenes <laughs> stories. <laughs> and you wrote a really good one. You uh, talked to the guys who made Bernie Williams' plaque. Yeah, and what I found so interesting about it is that I talked to them about making Bernie Williams' plaque, but really I was talking to the guys who make every plaque in Monument Park. The marketing group here that really runs Monument Park and handles everything like that, they've been using the same company called United States Bronze for all but two of the items in Monument Park. But this is obviously going back almost a century now of designing these things and creating them. And I went out there to talk to them about the process of making Bernie Williams plaque. And, I mean, I didn't know anything about how this stuff works or how bronze is set and created. And I wasn't at the foundry. It should be clear. I was at, you know, they were telling me about it. And then I was watching a lot of videos about it. And it is fascinating but it's amazing for me now and I, and I and I hope that if you read the story you get this I find it really special now to walk around Monument Park 
understanding a little bit more about how this all happened. And, you know, that the face on there is literally just like, I mean, maybe it seems obvious, but it's just a ball of clay it starts out with. That a person who, you know, this is just a little side gig of his who does this. He just drops it on some plexiglass, shines down a overlay of an image on it, and just gets to work just sculpting this thing and you know you go through them and you look at them and it's just they're so vivid and real these images and you you can walk through and yeah it's fun to look at babe ruth but i mean now it's just like Derek jeter and you know i remember Derek jeter's first game and yet you know you walk to monument park and it's there and and i really tried to get across an understanding of the artistry that's involved in creating these pieces that last forever i always find it interesting the people who kind of work behind the scenes on this history and and they kind of get a feeling like they're creating something that is historic and is going to be around for a long time. And I I always remember this past year, the guys even installing Derek Jeter's monument, like they knew, like they wanted pictures with it. They're like, we're doing something that's going to be here for a while. And these guys are the same way, it seems like. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, and this goes for the whole concept of Monument Park in general, sure. But once you've committed yourself to working in bronze, you're pretty much saying, you know, I'm working on creating lasting things. Most of what they do, you know, if you go into a church or a synagogue or a school, when they're not working on these huge, you know, plaques for Yankee Stadium, they're doing those like tribute boards and things like that. And the idea behind what they're doing is anything they're creating is a memento. You can bring them your shoes, and they'll create a cast. Your baby shoes, they'll create a cast of it, and they'll bronze them. You know things like that. You don't do this as like a throwaway little thing. If you're getting something forged in bronze, this is something that you're going to treasure for life. And that is what Monument Park is. That I mentioned the Derek Jeter plaque. You know, it does not look different from the Joe DiMaggio plaque and that's intentional you know the the roman ties around the border the idea of how the text looks and everything you know it's more mechanized now and it's not the exact same process but the idea is to convey the same emotion when you look at those two things despite their being you know separated by 60 years yeah fortunately you know when they constructed the first they called it a, a memorial tablet i think to miller huggins in 1932 they really nailed the design they have not had to change what they've done Um, and it's really cool to me that it's been the same company that's made all these throughout the years because one of the things that always strikes me when I visit Monument Park before a game and there's fans out there is seeing the different generations of fans together where it's you know sometimes it's maybe a father and a son or a grandfather and a a grandson and it's a, a way for them to kind of bond you know they can you see older fans telling stories or, or remembering things and sharing that with younger fans. And the monuments and the plaques themselves sort of have that same tie. You know, they, they have a, a uniform look to them. And I just think that's really cool. I think that's kind of, you know, emblematic of what this space is kind of about. And, and for me, the soccer for behind the scenes things, one of my favorite parts of the story is when they were talking about how they've almost gotten too perfect in some ways now that the letters are set by computer and things like that they kind of miss this idea that like you could look at an old plaque and say okay that was done by a lefty because it's tilting just a little bit Mm -hmm. and now it's perfect but so one thing that i found interesting in that regard is you look at the um, faces on the plaques and the way that they create those is not by taking a picture and just copying it but they take three pictures of a player 
you know, trying to look at different parts of his career. And then they try to figure out ways to, like, unite those three pictures into one image and also to age it a little bit. So it's not just about getting a perfect representation of Bernie Williams as he looked in 1998 or anything like that. You want it to be a timeless image of Bernie Williams. Derek Jeter, if you look at pictures of Derek Jeter from 1996 and you look at pictures of Derek Jeter from 2012... Yeah, you would recognize him as the same person, but there are, he obviously has a very different shape. He has a different hairline. He has, you know, all these things. And obviously in the plaque, he's wearing a hat. But the idea is not that you look at this and say, this is Derek Cheater as a rookie. It should be this timeless image of Bernie Williams or Derek Cheater. And there's such artistry in making that happen. And you don't notice it. You don't look at it and say, clearly, this is like some weird composite. They aged a little bit. It just takes on this appropriate image of this is Bernie Williams as we remember him, even if he never looked exactly like this. Well, I think this is one of several features in this book that that people are really going to find interesting. That The main kind of cover story, if you will, written by our associate editor, Thomas Golianopoulos. is just sort of an overview of how Monument Park came to be. goes back through the history, and Thomas spent some time out in Monument Park with Tony Moranti, who's our director of stadium tours, who basically was had a, a, a large role in the creation of Monument Park. But I think uh, there's a lot of other things in here that are sort of unique. We spent some time going back and, uh, you know, obviously George Steinbrenner was a a big part of Monument Park as well. Monument Park opened to the public in the mid-80s while when George Steinbrenner was obviously still the owner here. And as a person who was such a, a fan of Yankees history, Mr. Steinbrenner had a lot of things to say about the people who are in Monument Park. So we kind of compiled some of his quotes about uh, the people whose monuments and plaques you'll find out there. We have Hillary, your feature, uh, just focusing on some of the non-baseball tributes that are housed in Monument Park. So maybe if you could give uh, listeners a little taste of what that story is all about. Sure. So when you go to Monument Park, obviously you're going to find monuments and plaques to some pretty well-known baseball players who wore pinstripes. But you're also going to find, you'll see plaques dedicated to popes who came to visit. And you'll see Jackie Robinson's number. And you'll see Nelson Mandela. And you'll see the 9-11 memorial that we put up. And those things really interested me because we work for the Yankees and there's a lot of history and tradition that goes with the Yankees and a lot of that is honored in Monument Park but there are these people and things in Monument Park that have very little or nothing to do with the New York Yankees and I thought that was interesting and why did they deserve recognition obviously Nelson Mandela is a world leader and famous for fighting apartheid and being this beacon of hope and he came to visit Yankee Stadium and we honored that with a plaque in 2014 on Jackie Robinson Day. So his plaque is right next to Jackie Robinson's number. And then around the corner from that is the 9-11 memorial uh, and monument. And the 9-11 monument, I think, it sits by itself, which is appropriate. And when people go into Monument Park, they always kind of take a second at the 9-11 memorial. I've seen it and I've heard people talk about it and it's just kind of this reminder like this is something that happened in this city and Nelson Mandela visited this city and these popes visited this city and more importantly they visited Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium became this place where major events were held in a city where major things happen 
And I think I wanted to honor that with this story. It's really true. And, you know, we, we can talk all we want and we can, you know, parrot the advertising campaigns or marketing material about the ways that the Yankees and the Yankees brand transcend baseball and anything like that. It's really easy to see that in Monument Park. This is, you know, the story of the Yankees, sure, but it's the story of the way that the Yankees intersect with America in general. Um, you know, there's a great quote in your story about, you know, could the Pope or Nelson Mandela or any of these guys, could they have done this stuff in Cleveland? Could they have done this stuff? Sure, they could have. But it's not an accident that it happened at Yankee Stadium. Jackie Robinson, 42. You know, every stadium has 42 retired. But it's quite simply true that 42 means a different thing in the city of New York where Jackie Robinson played, but also in Yankee Stadium where it also represents not just Jackie Robinson, but Mariano Rivera and a a person who lived by a lot of the same ideals. And, you know, so when you look at the Jackie Robinson tribute in Monument Park, I think as a Yankee fan, it, it does force you to think about the entirety of Jackie Robinson and his legacy and the number and how the it applies to the Yankees. And I think that any baseball fan who goes into Monument Park and just views it as a Yankees history museum is doing the place a disservice because it's more than that. I think it's really about the city and the country in a lot of ways. And I think they do a great job of showing that. And Hillary, I think your story does a great job of explaining why that's important and why they succeeded in it. And it goes to show just why, as I think Tony Moranti says in in the uh, the cover story, you know, there's no other place like this in sports. And other teams honor their heroes in different ways. You know, some ballparks they put up statues and that sort of thing. But it, it's hard to imagine another sports franchise being able to do something quite like Monument Park because of the tributes to you know the, the the events that have happened at Yankee Stadium beyond baseball, which you wrote about. And it's just a it's a really special place. I mean, I think if you're a Yankees fan and you haven't been to Monument Park, it's definitely something you should add to your bucket list and, and check out the next time you're in New York. And, Nate, I mean, you know, I know that every year you bring a, t- a tour group yeah. into Monument Park and you get to show them around it. You know, we talk about it's, it's pretty cool every day for us to come to work at Yankee Stadium. But really, I mean, most of our day is spent in a pretty generic-looking office that just happens to have some interesting pictures on the wall. But when part of your workday, Nate is taking a group of college kids down to see this and, and, and just getting to watch. I mean, you don't need to look at the stuff yourself, although I know you do, but just getting to watch other people experience it. I love going down there and just standing in a corner and just, like, watching people touch them a little bit and whether or not they're supposed to, I don't even know. But, you know, you watch people just, like, touch the lettering, touch the faces. You watch who are they standing in front of and why. How long are they spending with Yogi? Mm-hmm. It's it's just a really fascinating, like, thing to experience just to watch other people, you know, take it in. Absolutely. It's uh, it's something that I make sure I do at least once a season, just and, and usually more than that. I, I think it's a good reminder of what makes this franchise so special it's just a cool space too you know that there was a lot of thought put in to the design of monument park when we built this new stadium and so it's open when gates open uh, which is usually during batting practice so you're standing out there in center field and you're reading the monument to Babe Ruth and home run balls are landing right above your head into a net and you know you can go up the ramp right above where Derek Jeter's and Jorge Posada's and Andy Pettit's numbers are and you can look out onto the field and see Yankees pitchers fielding shagging fly balls Um, it's just a really interesting fun cool place to be and there's still space out there for for additions and that's a lot of the conversations that I overhear uh, when I visit 
Monument Park is who's who's that next who's plaque going to be? You know, Let's everybody's kind of. Hillary, who's next? <laughs> like realistically, or like playing right now? Playing right now. Playing right now. <laughs> it's so hard to say. It's so hard to say who should be in Monument Park because, like you said, Aaron Judge had a great year. It was his first year. Right. It's one year. It's one. There's nobody out there who only had one great year. Right. You need to put together 10, 15, 20 years yeah. of greatness to earn your spot out there. So I don't know. I don't know who deserves to be out there yeah, as of we, right now. And we got to see some big uh, October moments, mm-hmm. too. I mean, they, they've started to build a resume in October. But when you look at those plaques out there, everybody's got World Series right. memories to share. I hope it's pretty clear how much fun we had putting this together. If you had a tenth as much fun reading it as we had putting it together, then we will have had ten times more fun than you. But uh, <laughs> so uh, at, um, at this point, you're probably wondering, how do I get this Monument Park edition of Yankees Magazine? Well, that's what I was thinking. Well, I would suggest you call one eight hundred Go Yanks. Mm-hmm. That's always a good way to do it. Or you can visit yankees.com slash publications. For the antisocial people out there who don't like to talk to other humans. <laughs> you go on the internet and you click around right. and you will find a way to get this magazine. And you will be able to order it and have it sent to your home in time for the holidays. It would make an excellent stocking stuffer for the Yankees fan in your life. It sure would. And uh, let us know what you think. We hope that you'll enjoy it and we would love to hear your feedback. And some of the content in this magazine will be available online. So if you visit yankees.com slash magazine, we'll be uploading some of those stories in the days, weeks, months to come. So check out that as well. Honestly, you're not going to find a more interesting holiday gift for a Yankees fan. So get on it before Mm -hmm. they're sold out. Or a more comprehensive view of the heart of Yankee Stadium. Monument Park. All right, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about one of our favorite sections in Yankees Magazine that we do every month called Quick Hits. So stick around. We've got some fun stories for you. Okay, so Nathan, if you're on death row and you're about (laughs) to have your last meal, what would it be? That is the, that's that's one of the, the best questions we have in Quick Hits. <laughs> so, so Quick Hits, tell us about it, Nate. All right, so there are recurring elements of Yankees Magazine that, that show up every month. And one of them that we've had a lot of fun doing is called Quick Hits. It began in the April 2010 issue with David Robertson, and we've done it nearly every issue since. And uh, you know, we're not the only magazine to do this. It's, you know, just a series of really short, off-field, mostly questions for Yankees players. Some are a little more offbeat than others. But it's been fun. Um, you know, one of the questions that we ask these guys is, you know, what was your first job? And, you know, a lot of guys say it was this, playing baseball or playing for the Yankees, which is a pretty cool answer. <laughs> But, um, you know, I love when you get some some of the, like, off-the-wall kind of responses. Like, Jacoby Ellsbury, he told us that he had a paper route. I, Matt Matt Thornton was a reliever. He was here a couple years ago. He told it, he grew up in Michigan and talked about detasseling corn and <laughs> the cuts and scrapes he would get working in the cornfields. Curtis Granderson, who I think grew up uh, outside of Chicago, maybe, he, uh, he said that he, he worked for his town's public works department painting uh, curbs and fire hydrants and and picking up trash. What a good citizen. Yeah, right? I like that. (laughs) 
David Phelps, I mean, could have been uh, one of us. He worked on the sports desk of his local paper in, in St. Louis covering high school sports. But I think one of the most memorable, you know, Nick Swisher was a guy who was always fun to interview, whatever the topic may be. Still is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Swish, when we asked him for his first job, obviously he grew up in baseball. You know, his dad was a big leaguer. And uh, I guess when he was, like, in high school, his dad was, at that time, I want to say, like, the, the GM or something of an independent league team in his hometown of Parkersburg, West Virginia. And so uh, Nick served as the Ohio Valley Redcoats mascot. So he would, you know, be the guy, you know. <laughs> I can't think of anyone more high energy right. than Nick Swisher so he, putting on a, was he in costume? He was. He okay. wore a, a, it was like a giant baseball costume, which oh, he God. said, you know, smelled really good at the, uh, at the end of the summer. <laughs> um, but he said the hardest part, and I can understand this totally, was that as a mascot, he was not allowed to talk. He just had to kind of, you know make motions and interact with fans that way. So you can imagine how hard it was for Nick Swisher. Nick Swisher has not been silent for more than like 12 seconds <laughs> in his life, apparently. But this was his job. So yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. So those were some of the ones for, for that question that I, you know, stick out in my mind. It really is always funny to me. I mean, these guys are so used to, you know, getting asked, explain exactly what your thought process was on that 3-1 pitch, you know, that may have cost you a million dollars in free agency some years down the line. And then it's just like, and so, uh, what concerts have you been to? <laughs> what are your hidden talents? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always funny. And that's what I was going to say, too. I like to do these interviews and kind of get them out of their comfort zone. Because, like I've said before on this podcast, I talk to Austin Romine a lot. Like, he's kind of my go-to guy for any anything baseball. Mm -hmm. Like, he's my first source for anything. So I remember when I went up to him and did a quick hits interview. I was like, oh, hey, Austin, I have some questions for you. He's like, okay, shoot. And I'm like, what three people, dead or alive, would you have a meal with? And he's like, what? <laughs> and he had great answers. He said something like Hemingway, and, and I can't remember who else, but <laughs> Tesla maybe was on his list. But it was it's always fun to talk to these guys and learn a little bit of, about them that you wouldn't normally. Like, these guys talk to us about baseball every day. That's mm -hmm. their job. That's our job. But I always find it more fascinating to talk to them about themselves. And I don't think they get asked about themselves very much. So I, li I really like this section. Yeah, and, and even sometimes, like, seemingly, you know, innocuous questions can be kind of revealing. You know, like, one of the questions that we usually ask guys is, why do you wear your jersey number? And, you know, some of them are just like, oh, you know, it was given to me one year. I've just kind of stuck with it. But some have more interesting or, or fun backstories. You know, I remember Phil Hughes telling us that he, he started with 65 just because he liked having a five in his number. But then at some point, like after maybe a year or two, he was like, you know, I don't really want to have this like spring training number anymore, 65. Like you don't see that many starting pitchers with a 65. Right. So we switched to 34, and that season, it was just like an epic failure. The like, 34 season. The 34 season did not go well, and he went right back to 65. <laughs> <laughs> Superstitions are real with yeah, these guys. Yeah, totally. Uh, Robinson Cano, he wore 24 to honor his, his namesake, Jackie Robinson. You know, he couldn't wear 42 because it was retired, so he did the reverse. But, you know, it's, it's cool when they have, when there's meaning behind it. Jabba, Jabba Chamberlain, uh, he said that he always tried to wear... Eight to honor uh, his, his best friend who, who passed away of a brain tumor 
obviously eight is is off the books here. Um, twice. <laughs> yeah, twice. <laughs> so uh, Jabba always, you know, he, he wanted to wear something that added up to eight if he couldn't wear eight. So he uh, he wore 62, and, and throughout his career he always wore uh, numbers that added up to eight. Guys always have a lot of fun. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that are like, what movies have you seen? And, you know, you, you think it's a simple question, but then you realize these guys work nights. Um, <laughs> they don't see <laughs> don't too get, many movies. Don't get to the film um, You know, what concert, what, what's your first concert? And, you know, there's a lot of guys who are just like, oh, I've never been to a concert. Or, you know, I went to my first concert last week, and it was just yeah. kind, of, kind of surprising. But I'll t- the one thing that always I always laugh at is the death row meal. Because first off, it's a pretty grim question. Yeah. You start wondering, well, what exactly did you do to end up on death row? But okay, never mind. <laughs> but Derek Jeter actually called us out on it when when, when really? we asked him. Yeah, I said, you know, you know, you're on death row. You get one last meal. Why anything death row? from anywhere? He goes, whoa! I, I thought Yankees Magazine was a family publication. What are you asking about death row for? I said, well, you know, it's just a little more compelling than saying, what's your favorite food? Right. You know, if I say, what's right. your favorite food, you're going to give me, it's kind of a generic question. But when you think about it in terms of like, okay, this is my last meal. I can have anything from anywhere. You know, that kind of opens it up. Flips it into a little bit more perspective. It but does. It seems there's there's some strategy, it seems, to be involved here. Because a lot of these guys approach their death row meal as you know what? They don't get to kill me. I'm going to kill myself. Yes. Because most of these meals come with a heart attack on the <laughs> I side. I don't know. I mean, most of the people I've asked is something like steak. You I, get a lot of steak. A lot there's of steak. a lot of steak fans but in MLB. To, to your point, John, nobody employed that strategy better than Todd Frazier oh, at God, the end yeah. of this season. It is the best answer I've ever heard. His eyes lit up when I asked <laughs> this question. Like, he was clearly had clearly thought about this before. Which begs... Many other questions, but anyway. Yeah, he was he was totally into this. Although before we talk about Todd Frazier's answer, uh-huh. to your point, John, guys who are saying, you know, I'm going <laughs> to do the deed before the chair, <laughs> Francisco Cervelli, when he was here, I, I asked him this question. He said, I would go shellfish. Like, I would go, he goes, I would go lobster and shrimp and all that stuff. I said, why? He said, because I can't eat that. I have a shellfish allergy. <laughs> So do you think he's saying, like, I've always wanted to know what it tastes like, and if I'm going to die anyway, I might as well find out? Might I guess so. Go out this, on this, this how I'm going to go. Go out on a lobster. blaze of lobster tail glory. Bring me some Maryland crabs and let us go. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, a lot of a lot of steak and potatoes, guys. I like how a lot of guys, too, kind of reflect their their upbringing. They, they, give, they go for, like, a taste of home. Mm-hmm. You know, Ivan Nova said he would, he would go for the Dominican flag, which I, was, I had never heard that reference before, but I guess the Dominican flag was uh, rice, beans, and chicken cooked by his mom. You know, a lot of the, the SoCal guys, the Southern California guys, opt for uh, In-N-Out Burger. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I support that. Mm-hmm. You know, Brett Gardner, he grew up on a farm in South Carolina. He, he said he'd go country fried steak and rice and gravy and sweet corn. <laughs> I support that, too. But, yeah, I mean. No, this is all fine. <laughs> yeah, totally. But but Todd Frazier, I, I don't think we've ever had a more uh, well-thought-out answer to this question than the Todd father. You're on death row about to be executed. You get one last meal. Anything oh, from anywhere. I've seen this before, and I've, I've actually answered this one before, like, to my buddies. Never mind, I would go with Oh, gosh, I like these questions. These ones are nice. I would go with, um, this French fries are my favorite. I go with, I would go with large fries from McDonald's. Uh-huh. I would go with the 12 buffalo wings from this place at home. I would go with one chocolate chip cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, pork leg and cheese sandwich 
for the poor girl thing, and then I probably, I probably ask for. Um, I have to go with pizza. I probably go with chicken pawn pie. You know, thin sliced here from from New York, New Jersey. <laughs> now that is a thoughtful answer. And, and one ginger ale uh, with a cup of ice and uh, two Bud Light bottles. We're good to go. <laughs> it's going out in style. I will never forget. This was like, this was the last issue of the magazine, correct? It was the October issue of right. Yankees Magazine. And I was editing the proof. And it was the first time I had seen it. And it was like, I want to say like 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. And I'm just sitting at my desk and I'm so tired. And I get the quick hits and it's and I'm reading this and I'm dying laughing. I'm like, <laughs> what is Todd Frazier saying right now? What is this? <laughs> he he had a good um, first job too. He was one of those like carnival barkers at, at the, on the boardwalk down Perfect the Jersey job Shore. For him. Yeah, have we ever put him together with the Nick Swiss shirt and just let them go? Oh, we need to. Yes, that should be a thing. They that just happens. have a daily conversation somehow. Should be a podcast of their own. So you know, along the same lines of of you know phrasing these questions, you know, I think like if you ask a guy like what was the last concert you saw, it's one answer, but. We've always asked guys, what was the first concert you saw? Because a lot of those are pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of re- reveal something about, you know, the guy's age or, or, or where he's from. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one guy, uh, Travis Hafner, I think, grew up in, like, North Dakota. I remember he was, like, valedictorian of his class of eight people or something. And <laughs> <laughs> he recalled seeing the Oak Ridge Boys at the North, North Dakota State Fair. That wow. was one of the more uh, unique answers to that question. John, what was your your big concert guy? What was your first concert? The Eagles with my parents at Giant Stadium. All right. I think I was 13, by the way, so I was not necessarily the demo, but it was pretty fun. Hillary? My first concert was also at Giant Stadium. My aunt got me floor seats to see NSYNC, and it was phenomenal, let (laughs) me just say. This was right before Justin Timberlake went solo. Um, so it was like their last like tour that they did together, and I'm not gonna lie to you, it was a magical night. I hope you saved that ticket stub. Little little Hillary really <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> no, let's uh, let's let's do that. let's do this. Let's do it proper. Let's do this right. What do you say? All so right. here we go, Hillary. Yes, John. What's the last movie you saw in the theater? I just saw three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and it was excellent. Nathan. Um, probably Jurassic Park. I think you mean Jurassic World, unless you were actually talking about Jurassic no, Park in 1994. No, it's been about 20 years since I've been to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> My answer is Lady Bird, and it was fantastic. Oh, I've heard good things. And I also saw Three Billboards, which is also great. Those are basically the two movies I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Nathan, you're on death row, about to be executed. <laughs> What's your last meal? Um, I got to go back to um, when I was living in Astoria. My favorite place in the world to eat was this little kind of small Asian fusion place called JJ's. They made an Astoria roll mm. sushi. That is like my favorite thing in the world. But if I can have anything, I'm also flying in some Maine lobster. Yeah, probably those two things. Just give me all the fried chicken. Hillary, what do you got? <laughs> um, there is a restaurant near my house that makes possibly the best mac and cheese I've ever had. I mean, it's not it's the best mac and cheese I've ever had. So I would get that and I would need 
as many donuts as is possible to be brought in for my dessert. <laughs> and I would just kill myself with the donuts, obviously. Okay. What hidden talents do you have, Hillary? Well, let me tell you about them. I can juggle. I'm actually an excellent juggler. I can juggle both balls and clubs. Hmm. So there's that. I speak a little bit of French. And um, what else can I do? That's that's Those are the two that come to mind. How about you, John? You got any hidden talents? I can take a dollar and uh, fold it into a bow tie. Wow. And, and it's pretty awesome. That's quite <laughs> impressive, actually. I would like to see that. It's pretty cool. Nathan? Nate? Um, I can eat lunch on like $5 a week, as you've seen. That's true. Yeah. Nate is really good at free food or leftover food or anything that's like if it's if it's edible, yeah. even a little bit, Nate's gonna eat I've it. I've kind of taken it up as my own personal challenge to <laughs> see how little I can spend on lunch every week. I like it. Similarly, Nate, how many suits do you own? Uh, two that actually fit. You got a really sharp one last year. I remember you got a, a yeah. brand new suit, and Nate came in looking so fly, and I was like, damn, Nate, you look good. And you've probably seen it about 50 times since. Yes, and it still looks good. <laughs> well, that's the problem. My answer to this question is a little bit embarrassing and probably upsetting to my wife, because when I started this job, I was basically told right away that game day is our business attire, so I bought a few suits. Um, <laughs> so I think I own five suits now. Man, game days are not business. <laughs> no, not, not quite that. <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, I own zero suits. You own zero. I, I, I should have been FYI. more and asked you. Thanks for asking. <laughs> okay. Nathan, what was your first job? Uh, I was a paper boy uh, for the Courier News in my hometown of Bridgewater, New Jersey, which I ended up writing for after college. Wow. Full circle. Well, yep. Kind of. A2, Hillary? I worked at Quiznos Subs. I made the sandwiches, and I, like, cut the sandwiches and put the little sandwiches in the toaster. And, and like, my second or third week, I was on the slicing station, and uh -oh. I sliced my thumb uh -oh. right open. And I was really good at, at wrapping and slicing, and I got a little too cocky <laughs> and put my thumb right on that sandwich, and we did not sell that sandwich. So don't worry. John? I think technically I would say camp counselor. But in terms of, like, you know, an actual job with responsibilities other than keeping kids alive, uh, I worked at a sandwich place in college in Ann Arbor. Sandwich buddies. Yeah. It was called Mr. Spots. And <laughs> those were good times. No mishaps? Eh, no, no comment. Um, <laughs> Nathan, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. The best piece of advice I've ever received, I would have to say, came from my grandfather, who I worked with uh, when I was in high school. He, he had a landscape nursery business, and so I spent a couple summers working under him, and he said, don't do anything half-assed. It's a waste of your time. That's really good. That All right. Um, my mom and my grandma always say the same thing. Well, they're mother and daughter, and they pass it on to me, and they always tell me that uh, nothing is permanent, and so if, if you're unhappy or if you don't like something it's it's never the end of the world and to to look at things that way and so i, I carry that with me a lot i like that one dude my father basically once told me that you know getting in some trouble is okay just don't get in trouble that you can't get out of and i try to <laughs> <laughs> i 
the rebel on the staff. So basically, like if that and live, live every week like it's Shark Week. Um, <laughs> those the are Tracy Morgan yeah. original. I like that. Okay. Who, uh, favorite player growing up? This is one, you know, I like asking the Yankees players about because we've been doing this for a while now. Like I said, we've been doing quick hits since 2010, and we've seen the Yankees team kind of evolve into this younger team. Uh, especially in recent years. So the answers to this question have evolved. Mm -hmm. Although I got to say, by and large, the most common answer by far has been Ken Griffey Jr. A few like Ozzie Smiths and Cal Ripkins, but we're starting to have players now in our clubhouse who didn't see those guys play. So um, I'm interested to kind of hear where these where this answer goes to with, with these guys. For me, I mean, I, you know, I grew up a Yankees fan in Central Jersey. Uh, I started going to games in the 80s, so Mattingly was my guy. But, uh, you know, Derek Jeter burst onto the scene when I was like 16 and kind of late teens, early 20s was really my prime going to games at Yankee Stadium era. So it's really hard not to say Derek Jeter. Yeah. I, um... I loved Tina Martinez. He was my guy. And Derek Jeter, I thought I was going to marry. So it didn't It didn't work out. Derek and I did not get married. And that's he went okay. a different direction. We went our separate ways, and that's fine. John? I'm not sure I'm allowed to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> the funny th- uh, you know what? I actually can't answer the question because this is actually true. My first favorite player was David Cohn. Currently my favorite just player to watch when I was in college and just out of college and my favorite player to cover um, is Carlos Beltrano. We'll do one last one. Three people oh, at dinner. Wow. I, from the sounds of that, I'm going to start with Hillary. Oi, oi. <laughs> um, this is a really, really hard question because there's so many people I would want to invite to dinner. I think J.K. Rowling is somebody who I admire and somebody I look up to and I think is a very interesting and smart person and I can learn a lot from and I think she'd just be great conversation. So I want... I want her at dinner. I want a president. I always struggle with which president. I love FDR, but I also love Abraham Lincoln, and I love Barack Obama. Like, these are people who are interesting and who were the first to do things or who were historical in some way. So I want a president, TBD, subject to change. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the day and the dinner. And then finally... Obviously. Taylor Swift. Mm. <laughs> Clearly. Nathan. Oh, man. This is so hard. I mean, I FDR was kind of my favorite president, too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think if I could sit down with George Washington, I mean, geez. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Especially Hamilton. He's there every night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, music guy, so I'd probably have to dip into, that. <laughs> I'd dip into that realm as well. I'd probably have to go either uh, Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix. Um, mm-hmm. That would be that would be a hard one to choose between. Maybe I'll go both. That's the two Jimmys and George Washington. How's that for a dinner party? Quite the party. John. Great, great question. Hey, John. Uh, you're not getting John. off that easy. All right. Um, definitely Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> um. John's a Michigan guy. FYI, everyone. I'll say, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to say Lin-Manuel Miranda. Just because I think we'll be best friends if you got to know me better. Obviously. 
So that's two. I guess the third, I'm torn right now between James Garfield and Bruce Springsteen. Either one of them will do. But okay. James Garfield, really underrated president, super interesting guy, and Bruce Springsteen. John's currently writing a rap musical about Garfield <laughs> with Lynn manuel Miranda. That was a secret. Sorry, sorry. We'll cut that out. Nope, we're leaving it. So in. this this dinner of yours is really a business meeting. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we'll write it off. Exactly. <laughs> we, we've all got things to do. <laughs> All right, guys. That was fun. I really like that. Can I say one more weird thing here before we get into the true? I really encourage that, please. Every single part, first off, this has been the world's most boring hot stove season, which is either going to pick up and get crazy (laughs) or whatever. There is something to me that is so charming about the fact that every single time there's anything happening behind the scenes of the baseball world, it's all shrouded in secrecy and it's all mystery teams and this, that. And I'm sure the Shohei Otani thing is going to get to there at some point. But there is something that is just so adorable to me about the fact that all 30 teams have homework assignments right now. Um, <laughs> but that every it's not a money issue. Like, you know, mm-hmm. for better word, it's not a money issue. All 30 teams are in this one. They're all determined to put together their book reports and send them to Shohei Otani. I mean, it's no secret. <laughs> the Yankees are doing it, too. Mm-hmm. It's just very fun. Like, even those rare times that we do know things that are going on that, you know, we obviously wouldn't talk about in the podcast. But, like, no. The, everyone's going after Shohei Otani. It's very fun to all be in this together, in a sense. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch this play out yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see how it shakes out and what decisions he comes to because it's really up to where does he want to play who's going to make the best presentation yeah it's going to be interesting it's definitely uh, I I think it's going to pick up and there's going to be a lot of interesting things that happen Otani certainly being first and foremost in a lot of people's minds but yeah right now I don't envy the folks who have to put together hot stove podcasts or tv shows or anything because there's there has not been much on that front so far totally but just imagine also like you know his agents who are about to get you know 30 large book reports (laughs) in two languages (laughs) I'm just so, like, fascinated. This is the most unique. I mean, forget just about, like, how unique the player is. Mm -hmm. Like, we have never, and I can't imagine we ever will again, see this weird, totally open process of this happening. And I'm just fascinated by what it's going to be like over the next few weeks. And I hope it ends soon because I think that the market will then pick up and we'll start to figure out what's going on. And it's just, you know. Yankees son of a manager right now. It's been a pretty interesting and odd <laughs> offseason, yeah. um, which is, we're now a month into. It, it won't be quiet for too much longer, I don't I think. Guess. Yeah. We have the winter meetings in a week and a half. And, yeah, we're, you know. Plugging what along. What do you say, Hillary? We got one more of these before uh, Christmas? I think we have at least one more podcast to look forward to before Christmas. Then um, I'll reserve my caroling for the next one. I mean, work on that play with Lynn and James Garfield and um, you know get back to us with what you with what you have I hope there's a Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa song somewhere in the mix there we're saying like things like the West Wing sports night whatever mm-hmm. the Christmas episodes were always the best so we do have a lot of work to do uh, but to be fair um, the musical episodes of these shows not the West Wing I don't think they had a musical episode I could be wrong but in recent years, different shows have had musical episodes, and they have been horrendous. So let's kind of... So we have to make a really good musical. We have to make yeah. a good musical Christmas slash holiday episode. So if you have tips for how we can go about doing this... <laughs> let's go work on our three-part harmonies, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for sticking with us. We look forward to talking to you soon. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Yanks Magazine. Send us an email, podcast at yankees.com. And be on the lookout for the Monument Park issue. Go find it, read it, love it. Give it as a gift. 
you'll be real popular, I promise. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye.